0: Hi, you're listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist Church. These resources are not designed to take the place of a local church, but we hope they will encourage you on your journey with Christ. For more information about how you can connect with the Second Family, visit mysecond.family. This sermon was delivered live at our Greenbrier campus. Thanks for listening. If you have a Bible, open it with me to Genesis chapter 8. Genesis chapter 8. So last Sunday... Um, I I had to fly to North Carolina for a class that, that I'm in and so last Sunday I woke up at 5 30 a.m I preached three services in Conway and then I spent all day in an airport which that's a great way to spend a day isn't it real restful I'm sure you would agree with that and so I'm flying there and everything was going fine everything was going normal uh, flight left Little Rock on time and 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 all of those kind of things. And I had a short layover in Charlotte, North Carolina. That's where I was supposed to um, just be for just a very short time. And I was gonna take a very short flight to Raleigh, North Carolina, where my class is. It's only a 25 minute flight from Charlotte to to Raleigh. So so shouldn't be any problem at all. My flight in Charlotte was supposed to leave about 8.30 p.m. and be in Raleigh by nine, all right? No problems whatsoever. Have you ever been to the Charlotte airport? Yeah, it's massive, it's huge, right? And so people are just constantly running everywhere in the Charlotte airport. There's no like transit system to get from one terminal to the other. It's like just home alone at all points of the day (laughs) in the Charlotte airport. And so anyway, we finally get on our plane that's supposed to leave at about 8.30 and everybody gets on the plane, we take our seat, we stow our our carry-on in the compartments above and we're ready to go just like you always do on a flight. And then the pilot came over the speaker and he, he kind of goes like this. He's like, yeah, ladies and gentlemen. why do they You know, why do they always talk like that? Right? <laughs> yeah, ladies and gentlemen, this is a pilot speaking. Uh, looks like we're going to have some uh, issues and we got some mechanical problems. And so we're going to need everybody to deplane at this point. And so we all had to get off the plane. And I've never had to do that before. You know, we were in our seat, we were ready to go. And uh, so there's a little bit in me that's kind of excited about this, honestly, because I'm like, this is interesting, what's about to happen? And so we get off of the plane and everybody gets their stuff and there's mixed emotions in the crowd. You know, there's some people who are very angry. Uh, there's other people who are threatening to like, call and sue and shut down American Airlines for the rest of time. And then there's people like me who was like, let's see what happens, you know, this is kind of fun. And so uh, we're standing around and finally we get a notification that says our flight has been changed uh, to a new flight. They gave us a new plane and it's at a new gate and it's at the opposite end of the Charlotte airport. And so here we all go, we gotta go all the way to the new gate to get on the new plane. And of course, everybody's talking and, and processing things but it almost feels like we're in a journey together. You know what I'm talking about? And so we finally get to the new gate, we get on the new plane, it's been severely uh, delayed at this point. I should have already been in Raleigh for over an hour or so by the time this plane finally uh, is boarded. And so uh, they tell us, all right, you can now board the plane. And so we all get back onto the plane and everybody's talking about deja vu. And you know, it's the exact model kind of plane as the one that we were just on. And so everybody's putting their luggage in the same compartment that they were in before. Everybody's sitting down in the same seat that they were before, right next to the same people they were sitting. I mean, I made some jokes with the guy next to me. And then. It happened again. Ladies and gentlemen, and so here we go again. We got a D-plane again, more mechanical issues. Apparently, American Airlines doesn't have any planes that actually fly in the air, and so uh, we had to get off of that plane as well. It's just a crazy crazy situation and again everybody's handling it differently people are angry people are you know threatening to call places uh people are making friends because again we're on this journey like i i don't know how it happened but somehow uh, i made some friends with these guys and they wanted to exchange contact information and it was late at night i don't typically do this kind of thing but i did it you know and so i made some new friends we'll see how that goes and um anyway we're just on this journey together so it was well after midnight before this plane finally, the third plane, we get on the third plane, and it finally takes off. At this point, I'm like, I don't even care if the plane works, you know, like, let's let's just chance it. I don't care if it has mechanical issues, and so we finally get out of there, but it's just this feeling of being stuck, you know, feeling trapped in the Charlotte airport, being held against my will, you know, just ready to get out of there. Finally got to the Airbnb in, in Wake Forest, North Carolina around 2 a.m., had to be up at 6.30 that same morning for class all day long. So brutal day, but it's just this feeling of feeling stuck, feeling trapped. And maybe you identify with that feeling, right? Maybe this morning you feel like you're in a spot where you just feel trapped, feel stuck. You feel maybe forgotten in some kind of way. Um, I think as we open Genesis chapter 8, Noah can relate with that feeling. So we started this series last week, Clarity in the Chaos. We started talking about Genesis chapter six and seven, the life of Noah or the flood that's going on. And when we left that story last week, Noah is still on the boat, right? That that the way that it finishes is the floodwaters have risen. Well in chapter eight, he's still on the boat. And I have to think that he feels the same way as I felt in the Charlotte airport, get me off of this boat, get me out of here, right? So the story of Noah, as we, as we, before we jump into it, you know the story, right? You're very familiar with the story of Noah. It's one of the big ones in the Bible. It's one of the most famous ones that we learn in kids' Sunday school and that kind of thing. You know about uh, the unrighteousness of the people. You know about Noah being uh, a righteous man. You know that God told him to build this giant boat, and he does, and about the animals, and about the flood. Like, you know the story. And last week, we talked about how God, it, God hates sin right, that he is completely against sin, and that's what the flood is a picture of, his, his hatred towards sin and how he's going to wipe it out, but the flood is also, it's not just a picture of just judgment, it's a picture of salvation through judgment, which is the big story of your entire Bible, in case you're unaware, of, of salvation that God flows through judgment, and, and so that's what you see uh, last week. Today, what I want us to talk about in Genesis chapter 8 is God's faithfulness and our thankfulness, right? So, if you're taking notes, maybe that's a title for you: God's faithfulness and our thankfulness. Before we read the text, though, I want us to pray and ask the Lord if He would speak in a way that only He can. And so, I'm going to pray for all of us, and you pray for yourself. Ask the Lord to speak in this time. Let's let's all pray. God, we uh, we just want to pause and uh, acknowledge who You are. That You are good, and You are great, and You are sovereign. You are Lord, Lord in this moment would you speak in a way that only you can through your spirit and through your word god would you communicate to us and to our hearts lord help me to speak clearly help everything i say make sense but more than that we want you to be glorified and lifted up and we want to hear from you so would you speak and help us to listen and obey it's in jesus name that i pray amen all right genesis chapter 8 remember noah is still on the boat And this is what Genesis chapter 8, verse 1 says. It says, God remembered Noah. You might highlight that or underline it in your Bible. God remembered Noah as well as all the wildlife and all the livestock that were with him in the ark. God caused a wind to pass over the earth and the water began to subside. I'm going to summarize this. The rest of what's happening here in that first section, is, as God is bringing down the water levels, we start to see the mountaintops start to appear. The ark is going to kind of settle on this certain mountain range that you see in verse four. Noah's gonna begin to send out these birds to see if the land is actually dry so that he can get off the boat. And then look at verse 13. In the 601st year, in the first month, on the first day of the month, the water that had covered the earth was dried up. Then Noah removed the ark's cover and saw that the surface of the ground was drying. By the 27th day of the second month, the earth was dry. Let's pause there as we're working our way through this story. We're gonna continue reading in just a moment, but the first thing that you see in this story is God's faithfulness. We see that in the very first line where it says God remembered Noah in verse one. But that's kind of confusing, isn't it? God remembered Noah. Does that mean that God forgot Noah, you know? As Noah's out in the ocean and he's just bobbing along, And did God forget him? Kinda like we lose our keys or our phone. Did <laughs> God just lose Noah in the boat, you know? Did God forget him like we forget maybe a pot of boiling water on the stove? Did God forget? The answer is obviously not, right? God doesn't forget things. God can't remember anything because he's never forgotten anything. He knows everything. He's omniscient. He knows all things. And so the way to read that phrase, God remembered Noah, is not to look at it from God's perspective of God going, oh yeah, the boat. Look at it through the eyes of Noah. From Noah's perspective, God remembered Noah. Keep in mind, they're still on the boat, right? Pop quiz for you, Sunday school type of quiz for you. How many days was Noah and his family on the boat? guess guesses? Okay, a few of you have been reading the story this week. Typically, people will say 40 days, right? 40 days and 40 nights. Actually, Noah was on the boat for over a year, at least 370 days, um, maybe more, but the most conservative tally of all the dates and the numbers in there would be 370 days. So over a year, he's been on this boat, and I'm sure there's days where he's looking around just sick of his experience, right? Feeling like he's been forgotten. Wondering if he's ever gonna see dry land again. Like God just said to build the boat and he's done it. Is that the end of God's plan? Like, are we just gonna float on this boat forever now? I'm sure there were days where he felt sick of being seasick, right? This passage is set up in a very intentional way to teach us a very important lesson for whenever we feel stuck or forgotten ourselves. There's a literary technique that the author uses here that you don't have to remember this, but it's called a chiastic structure. And basically what that is, is it's arranging the information that's in this text. If you've read through it and you're like, man, a lot of this seems to be repeating, it does and it's done intentionally. It's, It's set up in a way to where the information is mirrored on both sides of the main point. I want to show you what I'm talking about. Check out this first slide. The whole story, Genesis 6 through 9, is actually structured in this chiastic type of way, but just in the season of waiting, I want you to see what's happening here. So in the beginning of chapter 7, you see seven days of waiting for the flood. In chapter 8, verse 12, you see that Noah is waiting again seven days. Go to the next one. Again, another period of seven days waiting for the flood is spoken of. It's repeated in chapter 7, verse 10. In chapter 8, verse 10, Another seven days of waiting is repeated. Then you've got 40 days of the flood in chapter seven, where the flood waters are rising, and then you've got 40 days of waiting in chapter eight verse six. Next you see 150 days uh, of the waters just being prevailing. Then you see in chapter eight, verse three, 150 days of the water receding. All to show us the main point of the whole text, Genesis chapter six through nine, all of it is structured in a way to draw your eyes to chapter eight, verse one, God remembered Noah in the middle of all the waiting in the middle of all the days of wondering does God see me does God care has he forgotten God remembered Noah and I'm sure like life was tough and he was wondering and he was wrestling through all this but I think Noah realizes that God has everything in control that he has a master plan, that he has perfect timing and a perfect plan for Noah's life. We see that in the way that he responded. Noah doesn't move a muscle until God tells him to move. He doesn't, even though we start to see dry land and all that, Noah's gonna wait until God tells him to move. He never once takes matters into his own hands. Galatians chapter five, the, the, the famous passage, the fruit of the spirit, the evidences of what it means to be a, a God follower. One of the evidences of being a God follower Genesis chapter five, or Galatians chapter five says, is patience, right? Patience, and the way that that word patience breaks down in Galatians chapter five is it's talking about standing strong under pressure. Standing strong under pressure. But that goes against everything that's natural inside of us, doesn't it? Everything inside of us, our tendency is to be anything but patient. We wanna take things into our own hands. We wanna get ahead of God. We we wanna make things happen. I wanna remind you that one of the most popular phrases in all the Bible is wait on the Lord. To wait on the Lord. But I also want us to acknowledge that waiting is tough, isn't it? Waiting is hard. And so maybe you do find yourself in a moment this morning or in a, in a situation where you're just going, I need the Lord to move and I need the Lord to work, but it feels like he's forgotten me. It feels like I'm all alone in this. Maybe you're just waiting for God to come through in your marriage. Maybe you're waiting for God to come through in your finances or in your job or in your health or in that relationship that situation that you're walking through, maybe you're walking through something extremely difficult and the question is slipping into your mind, is God absent? And the answer is, of course not. Has God forgotten me? Of course not. Look at Genesis chapter eight. Does God see and care? The answer is, of course he does. He sees you. And whatever it is that you're walking through right now, he sees you and he cares. Genesis chapter 8 verse 1 is a promise that you can hold on to that as things get worse God does not get further away. In fact he gets more near. You see it throughout the Bible just as with Noah. Noah's in the ark for a year wondering if he's ever going to walk on dry ground again and scripture says God remembered Noah. All right, Joseph he was in prison for a long time for crimes he didn't commit. And it talks about how everybody else forgot him except for God. When David is being chased by his enemies, God remembered him. When Daniel was thrown into a den of lions and and worrying if he's gonna be torn to pieces, God remembered him. And even in the New Testament, whenever the disciples are on the boat in the middle of the storm, you remember that story and they're crying out, they're saying, God, remember us unless we die. And it says, God remembered them. And so Christian, I just want you to know that whatever it is that you're walking through this morning, when you're you're at your lowest, God is near, and he remembers you. He remembers you. You just gotta remember that God's timing is not our timing. His timing is perfect. That when he says no to something, or he says wait, he has reasons based in his love for us, even if we don't understand them. Just as he remembered Noah in the waiting, floating out in the middle of the water, he remembers you, he remembers you. And we live on this side of the cross and so I can also tell you this, that in Christ you have a hope that's beyond the trials of this world. So take heart and know that he remembers you. Keep reading in the passage. After a year on this boat, look at verse 15. After you've been on this boat for over a year, Verse 15 says, then God spoke to Noah, come out of the ark. Verse 18, so Noah, along with his sons, his wife, and his son's wives, came out. Do you see the beauty of what just happened? This is deliverance. This is freedom. God has come through. God is faithful to save And then what you see next in the passage is the proper response to God's deliverance. Look at Noah's response. Look at verse 20. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord. He took some of every kind of clean animal and every kind of clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. When the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, he said to himself, I will never again curse the ground because of human beings, even though the inclination of the human heart is evil from youth onward. That's an important line, maybe underline it. Even though the inclination of the human heart is evil from youth onward, I will never again strike down everything, every living thing as I have done. As long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter and day and night will not. Cease. God makes a promise in this moment. After they exit the ark, the first thing Noah does when he steps off the ark is he builds an altar. This is the first mention of an altar in the Bible. right? Why would he build an altar? Because he's thankful. He's thankful for the deliverance that he's experienced. The natural response. Of his heart and the salvation that he's experienced through the flood was to worship God. This shows us, so this passage I told you is gonna talk about God's faithfulness and our thankfulness. That's what you see here in Noah. The most natural response to what has taken place is worship. If I could define worship for you very simply, it'd be this. Worship is a response to God's faithfulness. Worship is a response to God's Faithfulness. Did you notice how it said that, that Noah's sacrifice was a pleasing aroma to God? Look at verse 21. The Lord smelled the pleasing aroma. I think we all know the difference between a pleasing smell and an unpleasant smell, don't we? Right? And before your mind wanders too far on that, I'm going to just talk about food examples. Right? <laughs> So pleasant smells of like a steak being grilled over an open fire, that's good, right? That's, that's the way things should be. Burnt popcorn in the microwave, that's a terrible smell, isn't it? My daughter did that to our house recently and it was no good, it stuck in our house for about a week. Fresh cookies out of the oven, maybe a pie, an apple pie being baked, that's a good pleasant smell. Cooking Brussels sprouts on the stove, that's a terrible smell, right? <laughs> That's a hor- that's a, I feel like cooking Brussels sprouts inside is like a hate crime of some kind on your family. It's a horrible, terrible smell. Somebody said it smells like dirty socks, and I agree completely. So this, this word picture that's being used here of God smelling the pleasing aroma is telling us that God was satisfied by the sacrifice. It's not that God was actually smelling what's happening. He's like, hey, is somebody cooking burgers? You know, that's not what's happening. It's a, it's a word picture of a human response, just as remembered is in verse 1. Now we see smelling something uh, is, is, is supposed to get us in our human minds to understand a real truth that's happening, and that is that God is pleased with the heart that's by, behind the sacrifice, that God enjoyed it that the sacrifice put a smile on his face, that he was pleased by it. And I think we can learn a lot about our worship or our thankfulness to God's faithfulness by looking at Noah's response here. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15, it it talks a lot about our worship and it actually uses the same kind of language that Genesis chapter eight uses, of offering a sacrifice that is a pleasing aroma or a pleasing smell to the Lord. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15 says this, let us continually offer up to God a sacrifice of praise. A sacrifice of praise, that is the fruit of lips that confess his name. Don't neglect to do what is good and to share, for God is pleased with such sacrifices. Hear me, the natural response to the faithfulness of God in your life is worship. The the most natural response for what God has done in your life, his goodness and his faithfulness is to worship him. And listen, your situation that you're walking through does not change his faithfulness. Even though that it's tough, even though that it's hard, does not change the fact that he is faithful a couple of summers ago my family and I we went to Hawaii and uh, Hawaii's got to be the most beautiful place I've ever seen in real life like it is amazing if you've ever been there you know that there's the blue waters the white sand the 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 mountains that are just straight out of Jurassic Park like it's just the most beautiful place I've ever been and when we arrived there and we're driving we're trying we're taking it all in all these breathtaking views it was only natural for us to want to stare, isn't it? In fact, it's only natural for us to want to pull over into the hundreds of different lookouts that are around the, the island there to, to look out. It's only natural as we looked at the breathtaking views that, that we just began to smile at joy. It's only natural that as we're looking out at what God has laid out for us that we want to talk about it both with one another there about the things that we're experiencing and the things that we're seeing, but then also whenever we got home, we just wanted to talk about it with whoever would would listen. See, I think that's what it looks like to respond to the faithfulness of God. I think that's what it looks like to respond to his faithfulness, the, the fact that we're just blown away by the idea that God has remembered me. He's remembered me, and I can't stop looking at it. I can't stop thinking about it. I can't stop smiling. I can't stop telling others about it. The only natural response is worship. I want you to think about worship in two kind of ways. And that's in here and out there. Very simply. We worship both in here and out there. Here's what I mean by that. We worship in here Meaning, when we come together as a church family, and we gather in this building together, we are coming to worship the Lord. We're coming to thank Him for His faithfulness in our life, right? And we do that through a number of ways. Yes, we do it through the singing before the sermon and all that, but it's not just that. Like, we worship through our singing, we worship through our giving, giving back to the Lord in the ways that He has blessed us. We worship through serving His church and His people. So worship in here corporately is widespread. It's, it's thanking the Lord for his faithfulness and we express it when we come in here. I have a question for you. If we were to record you when you come into this building on a Sunday morning, would your worship look like someone who is thankful? Would your worship look like someone who is is thankful for the faithfulness of God in your life? Is there any joy on your face? Is there any kind of thankfulness that is being shown in the way that you give, and the way that you serve, and the way that you interact with one another? Do you look like a person who is worshiping the Lord? And let me ask you this: What you are bringing? Are you excited to offer that to the Lord as a sacrifice? Are you are you excited to get here and offer that up? Would God look at that and go, that is a pleasing aroma? I think that's something to think through So we worship both in here, but then also out there. Our worship is not just something that we come together and we shut the doors and we just do in a secluded little room. We are called to be worshipers out there in the real world. Did you know in Genesis chapter 1 and 2... Uh, God created mankind in his image. And the purpose for creating man is this, so that we would reflect his glory into the world. And sin came in and broke all that down, but the purpose for you is to reflect the goodness of God into the world. That's the reason in this flood flood scene here, God is actually hitting the reset button, and there's a whole lot of uh, things, a whole lot of references back to the creation account where God is going, I'm recreating in this moment. I'm resetting it all. And so your purpose as a follower of God is to be a worshiper out there, someone who's reflecting the goodness of God into the world and beyond these walls. And so let me just ask you, are you doing that? If you were to look at your life, would you say, yes, I am worshiping the Lord out there at my job, in my schools, on my team in the chem lab in the cafeteria I am reflecting the goodness of God back into the world I'm living and offering my life as a living sacrifice before him and it's a pleasing smell to him can you say that are you serving others are you loving others the way that we are instructed Look, if if worship is the natural response to the faithfulness of God, then I think it's fair to draw the opposite conclusion as well, which is this, someone who doesn't worship God, both in here and out there, may not understand the faithfulness of God. You may not understand the beauty of of who he is and what he's done for you because the most natural response of a heart that is thankful for the faithfulness of God is worship. He is worthy of of your worship, both in here and out there, because he's faithful and he's good, and listen, he remembers you and he saves you. In the ultimate sense of the word, no matter what you're going through here on this earth, we know in the ultimate sense that he has remembered us and saved us, right? That's what we see here in Noah's sacrifice in Genesis chapter eight. His sacrifice paved the way for you and for me to experience the faithfulness of God. Because in that moment, whenever God smelled the pleasing aroma, what's happening here is he's he's looking at the sacrifice and it appeases the Lord's wrath. It atones for sin at that time and in that moment, God promises to never again send another flood. Look at verse twenty one. When the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, he said to himself, I will never again curse the ground because of human beings, even though every inclination of the human heart is evil from youth onward. And I will never again strike down every living thing as I have done. In this moment, God smells the pleasing aroma of this sacrifice and God promises life. He promises life. And it's an important note for us to take in that this promise of God is in no way contingent upon the faithfulness of the people. In fact, it was made in spite of their sinfulness. That's, that's exactly what he said. This promise of God for life to be extended to human beings like you and me is only held up by the goodness of God. Look, I know it's the beginning of the year, right? And everyone has plans to be a better version of themselves, right? You got your planner going. You got your workout plan, you got your Bible plan, and I hope you do have all those things going. I hope that you're working out more. I hope that you're reading your Bible more. I hope that you're learning a new hobby because those things will benefit you. But hear me, they won't make God love you more. And I think in some sense, whenever we are doing all those kind of things, there's some kind of feeling inside of us that I need to be better for God. And he's looking at us going, my promises are not contingent upon your faithfulness. He is faithful to the unfaithful. And that's the good news that we believe and proclaim, that he is faithful to the unfaithful, he knows who you really are, and listen, he still remembers you. He still saves you. The gospel tells us that when you were at your worst, you were sinful, deserving of the flood of God's judgment. God remembered you, Romans 5, 6, while we were still helpless, at just the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. See, just like this altar that is built in Genesis chapter 8, there's another altar, another place of sacrifice that was offered up to the Lord, and God himself puts the sacrifice on the altar, and it's Jesus Christ who is our Savior. Look, the cross is proof that God has remembered you. The cross is is the proof. If you've ever wondered, has God remembered me? Look at the cross. You did nothing to earn it, but Christ sacrificed himself for you and for me. His blood was shed. It was the atoning sacrifice that was needed because your sin separates you from a holy God. And Christ pays the penalty for us. Ephesians 5.2 picks up this same kind of sacrifice language out of Genesis chapter eight. Ephesians 5.2 says, Christ also loved us and gave himself for us a sacrificial and fragrant offering to God, meaning that his sacrifice on the cross pleased the Lord it satisfied his wrath for us meaning his death once and for all paid for your sin his blood was spilt so that unfaithful people like you and me can know the faithfulness of God and it breaks my heart that that truth and that reality and even those statements can hit us and not affect us in any kind of way. We've just grown numb to the gospel. We've grown numb to the good news of what he's done for us. Listen, when you understand that he is faithful to the unfaithful, the natural response is thankfulness. It's worship. And so whatever you're going through this morning, I just need you to know he's not forgotten you. Look at Genesis 8-1 and know that he remembers you. And his timing may be different than your timing and he's working things out for your good that you probably have no idea what's even happening out there. But he has remembered you and he sacrificed for you and he saved you. And the only proper response is to bow before him in worship. Whether that's for the first time Maybe you're here and you don't know Jesus. You need to place your faith in him this morning. You need to confess your sin, confess your need for a savior and bow before him. Say, God, I'm not perfect. And you know that, but I'm giving you my life. I'm surrendering it to you. You can do that today. Maybe the response for you is just, God, I need to bow before God in worship. My worship is not a pleasing smell to the Lord. I'm not giving him my best. I'm barely showing up. Both in here and out there, there's work that needs to be done on how I am worshiping the Lord. Maybe that's your response this morning, but a heart that remembers the faithfulness of God responds in worship. God is faithful, and we are thankful. Thank you for listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist. We hope that we will see you in person this next Sunday.